Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is episode 185 of the show, and today we got the chance to talk to Alex Bandar again. If you guys remember a while back, we talked to Alex early on in the podcast history, and here we are a couple years later getting the chance to talk to him again about how things have changed the Idea Foundry and some of the new projects he's working on. So it's an exciting conversation, and it's great to talk to Alex again, learn more about what he's got going on and what he's planning for the future we hope you guys enjoy this episode and we hope you learn a lot before we get to that episode though as usual we got to take a quick moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at conquering columbus and that starts with small biz cares small biz cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in columbus and their goal is to connect mobilize and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. All right, Congress, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know you have to choose it and yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. And uh, today on the show, we've got a repeat guest with us, Mr. Alex Bandar of the Columbus Idea Foundry. And the Idea Foundry is a community of makers designed to bring out creativity and help their members bring out new ideas and unleash their passion to make things. And from learning to weld, make video games, launch a startup, or even just take a class or two, you can do it all at the Idea Foundry. Uh, we had Alex back on the show in 2017, and... Uh, we're really excited to have him here on the show again to catch up, hear what's new with his team. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Alex. Thank you very much, guys. It's great to be back. Yeah, it's super excited to have you here again. And I, things have been going, I mean, I, based on the news that I was reading and the things I've been following along with, seems like things have been going pretty well for the Idea Foundry since we last spoke. I mean, what, 
How is the how have things changed? What's been going on? Yeah, a lot of exciting changes. So uh, last year marked the tenth year that I had been running the show, and I was ready for a bit of a change. So uh, actually. Uh, got married. Uh, my wife and I now have a three-month-old little roommate living with us, a uh, little Beatrix. So I'm ready for a kind of another way to bring value to the maker culture. And having run the gig for about 10 years, I realized that my favorite part, well, I'll put it the other way, my least favorite part about running the business was running the business. So uh, I'm not the QuickBooks person. I'm not the HR staff problem person. I'm someone who much prefers to sit down with early stakeholders who want to create a really interesting collaborative creative community like what we see in Franklinton with the Idea Foundry, with 400 West Rich, with a couple of breweries like Land Grant, um, uh, coffee shops, and uh, help share every mistake I've made over the last 11 years with people who want to replicate something like what we've done. And uh, often people will come to me and say, Alex, I want to create a makerspace like you did. And I said, no, you want to do it way smarter. You want to do it way easier. And I've been envious, actually, of people who have been able to create makerspaces, co-working spaces, what I call innovation neighborhoods, and cash flow positively day one because they really understood what the community wanted. They really understood who was willing to buy in. They tightened down their business model before they launched. They built the community before the business and uh, they were in the black day one. So that's something that I'm doing now. Uh, I was really grateful to elevate our COO, Casey McCarty, to CEO. She's got an MBA and uh, a hell of a business background and brought a kind of discipline to the business that as a clubhouse that I started 11 years ago, it probably deserved to have uh, um, come. And now I help uh, about six, seven other groups start makerspaces from Indianapolis to Cincinnati to uh, three or four other cities in Ohio, and maybe one or two new ones here in Columbus, uh, one based on fashion, which is pretty exciting too. So uh, that's uh, the long and the short of it, but uh, uh, happy to keep answering any questions. <laughs> And prior uh, lesson that you were on, it was before the renovation. So talk about how, how has that changed everything going on within the space and uh, what has that experience been like? Was it really? I think maybe it was just after, maybe, maybe the renovations have been completed, but maybe we hadn't gained traction. So we, uh, we always knew, uh, we started as a workshop. So just a place that had tools like uh, welding and 3D printing. And I think what we've learned and what I think I dare say, every other makerspace has learned, uh, including a big group called Tech Shop, which was a, uh, a for-profit makerspace that started in the Bay Area, spread to about a dozen cities. They, uh, I think, had about 60 million bucks worth of venture capital, and they went under about 18 months ago, uh, because I think it's just not possible to uh, cash flow a makerspace exclusively on memberships, classes, tool fees, things like that. There is a core group of super users who will absolutely use those tools, but you really need, I think, a co-working space, you need office space, you need big money, regular money, easy money like rent. So we also knew that our community really liked to convene, liked to hang out, liked barbecues and happy hours and drone races and uh, chili cook-offs and all, all the mischief we've gotten into. Um, so. We uh, built the co-working space to accommodate that group. And by building about 30, 35 offices on our second floor, we could instantly curate an ecosystem of people like 
web designers, marketing people, lawyers, accountants, who really help makers succeed. Uh, I, I strongly feel that, and I hate to put it this way, the product or service is almost irrelevant to the success of a company. It's really your marketing and your execution. And I'll point to the fact you can probably still buy a Pet Rock or a Pez dispenser on eBay, but there's a brilliant idea languishing in some genius's basement because they just don't know how to get it out, they don't know how to start a company, they just don't know how to run their business. So by curating uh, an ecosystem of folks whose job it is to help other people really succeed, and then by bringing in all the tools and resources to help people actually launch their product or service, that I think is a potent combination. And if you do it in a place where people like to be, with beer and coffee and barbecue, that's, that's just a big win. How does that ecosystem work together? Like, uh, how do those, the top floor and the bottom floor, cooperate and, and get uh, intermingled with each other and all that kind of stuff? Uh, that's a great question. And we strove hard to make sure it was one big collaborative space. So we didn't want an upstairs, downstairs kind of mentality. I expanded the definition of what it means to make something uh, beyond a 3D printed widget or a welded piece of furniture to making a mobile app or making a website, uh, making a business. And I'll be the cheese ball and say, making a friend, you know, that's making something. So, and we have a, a private Facebook members only group. So. We had thought, okay, do we have one just for the workshop members? Do we have one just for the co-working? Do we have one just for the, the office tenants? And uh, because it is one big community, we said, no, 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 it's all, it's all one group. And that way, if you walk into the shop, we have about 800 monthly paying members. On any given day, you walk in, there's a handful of folks in the wood shop. In the co-working space, there might be you know, a couple dozen folks. But in that closed private group, there's a lot of activity every day because people are asking questions like, hey, where do I buy plastic for the laser? Uh, is there a um, notary public that can sign my documents by 5 p.m. today? Really business-centric and uh, <laughs> occasionally um, social and fun. In fact, we had one real, <laughs> real bender maybe, uh, maybe three years ago that motivated me to start the, the social private opt-in only Facebook group for our members uh, called the Bad Idea Foundry. Uh, so if you didn't want to see whatever mischief we were getting into, uh, you didn't have to. But if you wanted it, it was there. So we very intentionally invite everyone to the same uh, happy hours, the same kind of icebreakers, the same kind of pumpkin carving parties and, uh, and more in order to foster these uh, connections. And at the end of the day, I think you learn the most by hanging out with people who aren't like you. So if we do have folks who are digital marketing experts mingling with the woodworking craftspeople, then um, boom, you've got a, a new way to sell your wares. And we see that happen often. You mentioned earlier that you, know, you brought in Casey McCarty as COO and then moved her to CEO. How has that change impacted the team in general and kind of what, what are some of the key things you saw on her that made you feel, hey, Casey's the person I want running this team. Yeah, so maybe, let's go way back. Um, let me do the math. 2012, 2013. So I started the Idea Foundry in 2008 in a small, small 2,000 square foot garage. Bought a few woodworking tools, made a WordPress website, uh, opened the doors, and figured who wouldn't want to use uh, their own personal woodshop. Turns out no one did. So for two years, I kept paying all the bills with uh, my day job salary. I'm an engineer, so I kind of bled for two years. 
and then in 2010 had the decision to either contract to a small co-op of the four or five solid folks who I thought might want to contribute and maybe we would just split the rent, split the utilities, we'd bring our own tools in and close the doors to the public, or we go much bigger and we rent a much larger space where I can build enough studios that the rent for the space can be covered by maybe a dozen or so um, studios that we rent out to artists or entrepreneurs. And once I did that, it was really jumping off the cliff because if nobody paid any of their membership fees, if we didn't sell any classes, if nobody used the tools, I could still absorb all of our fees uh, at the small garage I was renting. But once I signed a lease for a 10,000 square foot space in Milo Grogan, I knew, okay, I personally can't afford this anymore, folks, so everyone's gotta pitch in. So it became a much more serious endeavor and we had about 35 core members, about a dozen of them were committing to renting these studios, but it was still pretty uh, break even. Like it wasn't making money, I was still working at the day job, and I had this absurd idea to solicit college interns, or interns in general. So I put out ads throughout all the local colleges on Craigslist saying, if you wanna volunteer and help out, let me know had about 70 people apply, and I actually took 40 on uh, the summer of 2012. And uh, like I said, management doesn't come naturally to me. I'm someone who reaches for the broom first before telling someone else to sweep up. And so I was underwater with my day job, <laughs> underwater running the business, underwater managing these 40 very friendly people who wanted to help. And uh, the person who rose to the top was Casey. And she said, hey, you know what? She was one of the uh, interns who would uh, raise her hand to help. And she noticed how on fire I was and said, maybe he could use a little hand organizing people. So she immediately organized the other folks, got a kind of volunteer cleanup crew, got the classes better organized. And I called myself director at the time. So. I didn't have any money, but I figured titles were cheap, so sorry, Casey. Uh, I said, hey, you want to be assistant director? You know, that, what, a, what a great promotion from intern. Um, there was still no, no cash. And she, she did this for about a year and a half, I'd say, maybe even two, and finally said, you know, Alex, people still think I'm your assistant. They don't think I'm the assistant director. It, it's it's the, the kind of the office and the Dwight Schrute problem uh, in reverse. And uh, she said, you know, I, I don't want to be an assistant director. I will make a kick-ass COO, but that means you have to be CEO. And I said, okay, whatever will keep you. <laughs> that sounds great. Uh, let's print business cards. So thankfully, uh, the business did start to generate cash. We did get small salaries. Um, so she was actually <laughs> earning her, her keep. Um, and then when we moved to Franklinton, uh, we received some investment, we got help with a loan on the building, and that's really when we matured quickly into a grown-up business. And she really shone as a COO and uh, was the obvious choice when I was um, pretty ready for the next adventure. Uh, nobody else knew the business as well, no one was more passionate, no one was better suited with the business background, and she's got uh, at least one master's in Homeland Security, and I'm probably forgetting a few other degrees in there too, and her own business in jewelry, and as a single mom with two kids, so really kick-ass person. Um, and when she became CEO, 
she hired uh, Jack Story, who was the executive director for the Franklinton Development Association, which was the organization that sold us the building. If people know the history, the city of Columbus donated that building to the FDA, the Franklinton Development Association, and said, find an awesome tenant in here uh, to help change the perception of the neighborhood. So they brought us on board. Uh, Jack rebranded the FDA as Fuel, the Franklinton Urban Empowerment Lab, and has a background in documentary filmmaking, in community building, in media, in just kicking ass. And uh, so when Casey needed a COO, she hired Jack. And I think he was the perfect choice because he was already in Franklinton. He has a history of building communities uh, and, like I said, kicking ass. So that's, uh, I think, uh, couldn't have found a more perfect team. Hey there, Conquerors. We're going to take a quick break in the show here to tell you about one of our sponsors, Mix Wonders. Creating a podcast is a ton of work and a lot of heart and soul goes into your work. And that's why you want your audience to have the best listening experience possible. And that's why we work with Mix Wonders. Mix Wonders is an agency that helps podcasters like us get the most out of their audio. And whether you're spending four hours mixing your podcast each week, or you just can't seem to get the level of quality you want out of your audio, Mix Wonders makes it super simple to get pop star level audio at a low price. For a limited time, they are offering to mix your first episode for free. So just go to mixwonders.com, that's M-I-X-W-O-N-D-E-R-S.com to sign up for a free mix or consultation. Save time, sound professional, Mix Wonders. What are some of the key initiatives that you guys are working on today um, and and the uh, goals for the foreseeable future? So I'm grateful that my official title is now Chief Mischief Maker, so I can uh, take a big step back and leave all the work to, to Casey and Jack. So they have essentially ensured the stability of the business by right-sizing, by uh, exploring a handful of new revenue streams. I personally have been grateful to find half a dozen opportunities to help other groups, individuals, and cities to start makerspaces. So what I would like to do is to take the example of the Idea Foundry and more broadly of what I call the innovation neighborhood within Franklinton and see if we can make this a scalable, replicable model that we can spread at least across Ohio, if not the Midwest, if not the US. Uh, And a really, really clever friend of mine once asked all of his 5,000 Facebook friends, what would you tell your 18-year-old self? And of course, there were thousands of posts and replies But uh, my favorite was one after he had called all the responses and he said what he would tell his 18-year-old self is if you're looking for an expert in something you want to do, don't just find the person who seems to have succeeded the most because that success can be lucky sometimes and doesn't actually evidence competence. So instead, find somebody who has done what you're trying to do. They've done it at least twice and they can explain why it succeeded both times. So there was a a perfect storm of opportunity for a handful of reasons why the Idea Foundry model works in Franklinton. I'm not sure that works in rural Ohio or urban Cincinnati or downtown Indianapolis. And the example I'm looking at again is this uh, organization that was called Tech Shop that had the same kind of, I'll say, cookie cutter-like model where they brought almost the same footprint, almost the same tools, same culture and classes, from uh, St. Louis to Pittsburgh to Austin to Denver um, to San Francisco. And each of those cities has 
different needs, different resources, different communities. So what I will be enormously proud of in the near future is to say, hey, we actually did find a way that isn't a turnkey precise formula, just copy this model, because it won't work in, uh, in Hawking College with, uh, in Nelsonville or in the village of Somerset, which are a couple of the places I'm helping at, or in Cincy or Indy. I think uh, by finding out what those neighborhoods and regions need and designing a similar, <laughs> similar but different model and see that succeed, then I will feel like I've actually learned something. Uh, and that's something I'm very uh, excited about. Yeah, and, and from what it sounds like to me, Alex, it sounds like you know, your belief is that the reason that other companies' model failed is because it wasn't flexible enough and community-oriented enough to really fit in with these different locations. You can't take just a cookie-cutter approach and hope to succeed. You really have to get to understand the community and kind of what they're looking for in these types of spaces. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, if, if I look back... You know, I forget who it was, and forgive me, I think it was, uh, I, I won't say it because I might get it wrong, but I did another podcast where um, somebody asked me my, my greatest mistake, and I, I admitted it was not having done a business plan before starting the business, because if I had, I think a conventional business plan would have shown there's no market for this. There's no reason you do this. Uh, it doesn't make money. So um, I had what Nancy Kramer calls divine ignorance. Uh, so I just blind, blindly jumped in and thank God made it work. But um, I think if you, I, I, I joke, if you want to start a pizza place or a law firm, there's a century of business case study that tells you who your market is, how you operate, what your expenses will be, what your business plan is, uh, what your business model is. That's really not existent yet for the kind of makerspace culture. And even if I say the word makerspace, it means different things to different people. Um, there are fab labs in high schools, there are library community centers, there are corporate technology hubs, there are uh, collegiate machine shops, there are the neighborhood community makerspace, which is near and dear to my heart. So by looking backwards, and asking, okay, who, who are our members, who are our customers, and what is our actual product? I used to think the product was providing tool access and education to the Central Ohio creative and tech community. But if you look at who uses our tools of, the, you know, of our workshop members, only about a quarter of the people who pay the monthly fee actually use our tools. And for years, I was afraid those folks would eventually get bored writing checks to Alex and leave. And suddenly, 75% of our revenue would just uh, vaporize. Thank God, over the years, they stuck around. And I finally realized they're not here for the tools. They're here for the community. They're here because it's a social club for entrepreneurs, for makers, for artists, for techies, for um, the movers and shakers of a region. So in that case, what we're selling isn't tool access. What we're selling is uh, membership in a community of optimists, <laughs> people who think that we can be better tomorrow than we are today, that uh, the world is malleable, that I can shape and form and impact it, that maybe I can start a company to quit my day job, I can build my passion project, I can learn a new skill, make a new coworker or workout partner friend. So how do you, how do you sell a community around optimism? That's a different thing than putting a laser cutter in a welding lab in a place and in a city of two million people, well, maybe there are 500 people who subscribe to that. So how do you find those folks and how do you cater to those needs? It's a different set of programming uh, and a different way to explore. So uh, that's been a really interesting uh, discovery over the last 10 years. 
You recently started blogging for OSU's uh, Lead Read Today. What's that experience been like? And uh, talk about that since it started. Yeah, I am super impressed with um, Lead Read Today. So OSU's Fisher School of Business has a uh, really interesting initiative to effectively personality type managers and business people and come up with a quantitative test to identify your strengths, your weaknesses, and rapidly upskill so that you can be successful. And there are a number of personality type tests out there. Uh, Some of them are more scientific than others, but I really like this quantitative approach. And in an effort to kind of put a voice to that initiative, they've invited a number of people to blog about their experiences. And um, each blogger is encouraged to include actual quantitative references to uh, whatever principle they're talking about. So it's not just clickbait, uh, and I'm not just saying this to sell the, the blog too. It's a, it sounds like an ad, but I'm legit impressed with their uh, approach. You have to reference scientific articles. Uh, you have to know what you're talking about and, and and prove it too. And so that's why I was flattered to be invited. I think they wanted a, a vector to the kind of grassroots entrepreneurial world. So I look forward to uh, picking a few folks uh, who are successful startups or entrepreneurs at the Idea Foundry and asking them quantitatively <laughs> what contributed to their success, not just the kind of tell us about your grit. You know, it, it's uh, something more. Uh, replicable. So again, I think we're coming back to don't just put content out there that, uh, or don't just sell a product that works in this this one unique market. Try to find the underlying fundamental understanding of why this product's working and see if you can scale that. Because I think for me, that's really exciting. Uh, It's one thing and not at all a bad thing to want a kind of solopreneur uh, lifestyle business where it, it makes enough revenue for your lifestyle and that's good enough. That, that's honestly, that's envious. That's pretty fun. <laughs> but I've always been driven for that next extra thing and say, okay, well, we've been here, we've done that. Uh, can we do this 10 more times now? And, uh, and it's not because we want to make 10 times as much money It's we want to make 10 times as much impact. And something that really motivates me these days, I was invited by both Lead Read Today, but also um, TEDx Cincinnati to give a talk about what I'm passionate about. And again, taking a look back at the impact that the Idea Foundry has had, I think I've learned that there's a, a vacancy in the learning spectrum you have K-12, you have career tech schools, you've got two-year schools, you've got four-year schools, you've got graduate schools. Then once you're out of school, maybe you have a business, maybe there are accelerators, maybe there are incubators that can help you. But um, there's no real lifelong learning school. I, I joke, uh, sometimes I call the Idea Foundry a Montessori school for adults, where those who know teach those who are coming up. Or... <laughs> I say we accidentally created a school where the answer to every question is Google it. So now that information has effectively been democratized, what's the word here? I'll just say unsiloed from universities and in YouTube and uh, platforms like that, I think it's possible to taste a hundred different potential skills or explore a hundred passions in uh, a couple of summers and hopefully find really what motivates you, really what you're good at, really your highest and best value uh, to yourself and to society, 
that doesn't involve going to college 10 times because none of us have the time or money to do that. And, uh, and so I think places where you can get a quick taste of a new skill where you can collaborate with other creative, talented people will help folks settle into their kind of highest and best use fast. And if every city, if every neighborhood has a space like this, then we can imagine non-traditional learners, um, folks who might have to self-start because maybe they have a felonious record and they've got trouble getting jobs, they have to be an entrepreneur. Um, I know folks like this. That's the vacancy that I think the maker culture is, is filling and uh, would love to see that spread uh, wherever it's needed. Definitely. And Alex, you know, we kind of have talked a lot about all the different things you have going on, but I mean, what's your just typical day-to-day look like? What do you got, what are you doing daily basis? Is there a Yeah, that, that's a great question. So um, I'm night duty dad for our three-month-old little Beatrix. So uh, <laughs> evenings I uh, take care of the little kiddo and then uh, hand her to, uh, to her lovely mom in the morning. And then either I've got, let's see, um, uh, I'm helping a co-working space called The Fort on South High to develop their kind of co-working events and online digital programming. Uh, I'm helping a group uh, in town called the Columbus Fashion Initiative to start a makerspace based in fashion. And I think Columbus is very well suited to produce a facility that can address fashion designers, big fashion retailers, fashion businesses. Uh, surprisingly, Columbus is the, uh, the third highest density city to have fashion designers after New York and San Francisco. And it's because of all the corporate designers at L Brands, Express, Abercrombie, etc. So to provide a facility where those folks can moonlight and have their day job, but evenings and weekends, test out a new product, and then leverage Columbus's capacity for being you know, one of the best logistical distribution centers in the nation. Uh, what's the statistic? Uh, 70% of the North American population within 12-hour drive, something like that, means that we can marry the talent with the opportunity and even fill a vacancy in maybe the pulse of Columbus to give it a bit of a, a brand and, and some life and fun. I'd love to see a makerspace devoted to fashion where the event space is a, uh, a bar restaurant with a fashion runway uh, where you can go get a cocktail and every Friday or Saturday night see uh, a CCAD design student or a local design entrepreneur or a local retailer um, launching a new product. I think that'd be pretty fun. So that's gaining some traction. Uh, helping a group called Comade in Cincinnati um, that is doing uh, an amazing job of launching a two-year temporary facility in an old Kroger in a rough neighborhood called Walnut Hills while they fundraise to build um, a 100,000 square foot new build uh, in another neighborhood that is a combination of product development, startup support, workforce development, and social programming for a neighborhood that needs it. So a really interesting way to revitalize a neighborhood um, in a sustainable way. Um, working with Hawking College to create a makerspace there called the Hawking Makers Network. And Hawking College is doing a really, really smart thing. They recognize that once a student graduates from a college, if they want to be an entrepreneur, they've just lost access to everything they had on campus, all the resources, the lab space, professors, uh, community. 
and they're kicked out in the cold. So to have a facility where after you've graduated, you can still hang out, still work, still launch your product is a great way to fight brain drain. You know, people might come from all around the world to go to your college, uh, keep them here by making it stupid easy to rent a cheap apartment, uh, launch a business, find cheap co-working space and tools. And I think it's especially clever if the college and the city find a way for that second, that last semester senior year is paid for by the combination of the city and college to be part of a co-working space or maker space so that you have this overlap uh, and understand both communities after you graduate rather than a, a hard cliff. And they're also cleverly not really branding it Hawking College so that it's also attractive to local residents who might not think that they go into a maker space that clearly looks like it's a collegiate space and say, oh, I'm not part of the college, I can't go there. And that's a, a constellation of resources around Nelsonville, a welding lab, a visual arts center, a wood lab, and they're building a, a co-working area too. There's a great village called Somerset, about an hour east of Columbus, that has a dynamic rain-making mayor named Tom Johnson, and he has gotten some funds from a variety of sources to build a co-working space, maker space, uh, in an old hardware building. And the hardware store is actually staying too. So what I wouldn't have given to have started a maker space that shares a wall with a hardware store. Uh, so I'm doing that in Somerset. That's called the Somerset Builders Club. Um, and then there's a program in Indianapolis called 16 Tech that is an innovation hub, which is building maybe a 60-acre, $20, 30000000 million center with uh, events, co-working, uh, maker space, affordable housing, office space, and I'm uh, designing and, and managing the maker space there. So I, if I count that up, that's six or seven spaces, and then including the community of the Idea Foundry, now for the first time, I kind of get a peek behind the curtain of how does a community in a rural Ohio town operate, what tools do they want, what classes and events do they want, what price points can they pay, uh, what are the resources to make that place run. Compare that to Cincy and Indy and Columbus. And, um, and there's even <laughs> an extended network of other maker spaces throughout Ohio managed by a, an economic development organization called the Lights Network. So there are another 10 there. So I think we'll have eyes on 10 or 15 different maker spaces and importantly, profits, losses, and community um, kind of behavior, uh, which will make for, uh, I think, a, a really amazing journal article uh, pretty shortly. And uh, a lead read today blog post, and hopefully a recipe that we can hand to other cities if they want to start their similar kind of gigs. That is quite a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of driving. That's a, a lot, lot of driving. day to day. <laughs> um, but I think, Alex, that's kind of a good place to pivot towards our last question of the show. And it'll be interesting. We can go back and listen to how you first answer this to see how it's changed since between now and then. But I'm curious. You know, the theme here on Conquering Columbus, it's live uncomfortably. And without too much, telling you too much about why we chose that as our theme of the show, what do you think of when you hear the phrase, how does it apply to your life and career? Yeah, uh, I have long held the visual image of um, a circle with a dot just outside of it. And the circle represents your comfort zone. And you certainly shouldn't live right smack dab in the middle of your comfort zone. You certainly shouldn't be a mile away from it because then you're stressed and uh, stretched too thin all the time. You should be just outside that comfort zone. That's how you learn. I think 
people. Uh, you know, I'm an engineer, so physics and thermodynamics are near and dear to my heart. Every system settles into its lowest energy state. So uh, if we get comfortable, uh, then we're not really producing. We're not being pushed. We're not learning. So you need to be a little uncomfortable to, to stretch and learn. Uh, so I, I wholly subscribe to that. My most uh, impactful learning moments have been when I was wrong <laughs> or I had to work my damnedest and, uh, and learned a lot from that. So yeah, uh, embrace the discomfort. I feel like I remember that analogy. So we'll have to go back and double check and uh, conquerors, <laughs> if you enjoyed that interview, go check out our last interview with Alex. Uh, going to have to go a couple of years back in the archives, but you can find it there. But Alex, thanks so much for joining us and talking a little more about how things have changed for Idea Foundry and what you got going on today. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it. Yep. And Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. You guys know the drill. If you like that episode, leave us a like, share us on iTunes, rate us on iTunes, leave a review. Really does help us out. We appreciate all of your support. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like, share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. If you could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in, in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.